Good morning. I'm Pauline Vituna, 3CR's Disability Day Worker for 2021. As a migrant settler on stolen land, I'd like to acknowledge the Woiwurrung, Wurundjeri people and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the custodians of the lands I live and continue to learn upon. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded. You're about to hear Manifesto for Rest and Survival with Elena MacDonald. Ya Tawatcha. My name is Elena MacDonald of the Paradarama Nation, speaking to you from the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation. I'm a disabled writer and community organiser who is committed to developing a disability justice that is located in the sovereign, indigenous, grounded process and movement. Today's show is called Manifesto for Rest and Survival on resistance and the power, the power of collectives, an Indigenous call to disability justice. Uh, this show is going to cover what an Indigenous defined or led movement of disability justice looks, looks like and how that takes shape. I also want to talk a bit before we get into it, why in the context of these times, survival is stated prior to resistance. Should we not be thinking beyond pure survival? Survival is a greater form of resistance than simply making it through. Survival is not an isolated thing reliant upon individual strength and success. Survival, true survival, is the result of collective networks of care, kinship and communal responsibility. Built into survival is communal healing. With this process, survival is never as lonely as the colony often imagines it to be. It is vital, however, to note that to survive is not a reflection of individual work. It is something to survive, yes, and something to celebrate, but it is not a win to be celebrated over those who could not. It wasn't us, but it could have been. I would like to pay my respects here to the disabled people who have not survived this pandemic and to the disabled mob and all blackfellas who did not make it through. With the very processes and imaginings I'm outlining today, a manifesto, if you will, continued on from the many works, the works of many people before me and continued on into future unending. The place of disability justice and exactly what it is will become much clearer. Without an approach grounded in Indigenous ways of being and knowing, led and defined by Indigenous peoples, disability justice can never succeed in this colony. I want to start by sharing an excerpt of my writing uh, that I wrote for the Emerging Writers Festival and Disability Justice Network's event in June earlier this year. This was also excerpt, excerpted, I believe, um, in part for today's programming. And I want to share it again here because I think some of what I wrote is important. This is sick form, black yarn, crip space, deep place. We are the in-between. Purple are the spaces of mutual aid and regeneration, a site of rest and renewal, scarce found elsewhere. Purple is the promise of medicine undone and examined, an industrial complex unpicked and ended. Purple is the rebuilding and reshaping, enacted in testament to the many bodies, minds, spirits that were lost before it could become reality. Purple is the promise of meaning, that this is not simply a dream and nothing more. This is no empty project of ideas and philosophical writings. 
This is the sustainable future built upon resistance, upon mutual renewal. We write and speak and work, not because it soothes our dying pillows, but because we must, to have a world beyond this, a world that goes beyond and then further than that. It will not be the work of the colonies or the hand of the white saviour. It will not be the workings of integration into already rotted systems. Our world is already here in some many ways. It is partly brought into existence by our collective imaginings, far greater, more expansive than can be shared in this space. It is held in our work within communities today, within our struggle to maintain as we have begun, together, centered in indigenous ways of being, our ways, in abolition beyond academic text, in intersectional collective liberation. The world is already here, though most cannot yet envision it, touch it. The world is purple as it rests within my spirit, within our continual remakings of what can and should be, purple in the in-between of what is and what will be. Before I start looking at what disability justice means in an Indigenous defined and led form, which is, I believe, the only way it can exist and succeed. I want to take a moment to look back at the past year and outline who exactly I'm speaking to. Well, I say the past year, but I really mean the past few years with the pandemic and even before then. All around me, disabled communities burnt out and exhausted, repeated traumas inscribed upon the body. And yet despite all this, we've managed to find and develop and continue to build care, community and kinship, connection and survival despite it throughout. It is partly why I speak alone today on this program, aside from brief interludes later on from others. All around me, my disabled kin are burnt out and exhausted. Tired beyond belief in both body and spirit. I myself have had no easy year. Major surgery, endless complications, medical appointments, hospital conflicts and repeated foolery by the colony to navigate. And then to top all this, a pandemic in which the dehumanisation of disabled bodies has become greater and greater, an endless toll. And now, whilst others meet and go outside without concern, many of us remain forced into isolation and separation. The need is as great as it has always been for community and its care. Everyone should be paying attention to what I say today, listening and learning, but it is not settlers who are the focus of my words today. It is to my community to whom I speak, to my black disabled kin, and also to all indigenous peoples across the world. Working alongside the settler is necessary, but it is not they who should be the focus here in defining an Indigenous manifesto for disability justice. To direct those words whilst considering the settler is to defeat my very purpose. The point is to understand why this must be so and what it means to follow an Indigenous defined form of disability justice, how that may look and when. The point is to respect our voices here, to understand that the settler is not the priority. We must work alongside one another, but the process in which we do so must be led by mob. Disability justice, after all, began as a concept on Turtle Island, led by Indigenous disabled kin there. 
Pay attention when I say Indigenous disabled kin. I do not mean able-bodied Indigenous people. I'm referring only to disabled, sick mob. And what do I mean by community? Let me be clear here, for it is a common settler misapprehension. This is not an extraction. Community is defined by what one gives to it, not, what, not by what can be extracted or known. A community in an Indigenous Black conception of disability justice is measured by the networks we build and sustain. The care we have for one another within this space is not defined by zero-sum shares of experience or knowing, nor of gatekeeping meanings and identities or futile oppression Olympics in which no one can win. This is a space in which the relational is defined by how much you can give, how much you can envision, not how much can be taken. One of the most core underpinnings of disability justice when it is defined and led by Indigenous peoples and ways of being is that of the collective networks of rest and care. What does it mean to rest when the colony gives very little space for such a thing? But how can one truly rest? My old people have told me many things about rest and it is their wisdom 
I think of constantly, as all Indigenous peoples do, for it is the only avenue for rest possible when the colony has no end in sight. Before I venture into this wisdom, I want to share a form of rest and care I have been undertaking with a cis of mine throughout this year as we seek to provide comfort and guidance to one another when our energies are stretched so very low. It seems small, but in so many ways, it has been a radical form for us, healing in a way we had not considered. We call them audio groundings, small audio clips describing the country we are located on at the time, the air, the colours around us, the smells of the earth, the sounds of water nearby, or wind running through the trees. Sometimes we would share poems, ones that resonated with us, held meaning in the moment. For example, today I speak from Nam on the lands of the Kulin Nation. It is a hot day and the air is very still and thick. The sky is bright blue and the sun penetrates everything. Last night there was a thunderstorm and the air smelled of electricity, but now it is just dry and hot. Maybe later the rain will come. That's a sort of small example of the kind of thing we would say. And I share this example because it is a good example of how vital grounding is as a form of healing. It is the wisdom my old people have given me to continually ground oneself in relation to community, in relation to ancestors, in relation to country. Rest is not possible without it. To ground oneself in relation to community is to remain connected to the networks that can support and heal to the collective that operates only when we all are tied to it. This seems obvious and perhaps even simple wisdom, but, is, but it is necessary to remember, to be reminded of often. We exist after all in a colony that values the individual above all, that works to undermine and separate the works of community to prevent us from ever achieving rest. It is not easy to hold together these ties to continue on despite it all. All efforts are bent upon the erasure of these ties. For disabled mob especially, there is a violence that the abled blackfella never encounters, the denial of black disabled experiences, of the violence of ableism, both within community and without. For many disabled mob, whether they identify with the phrase or not, to find disabled community, black disabled kin is near impossible. When we do, it is usually conducted solely over the waves of the internet because we cannot travel with ease. For many mob, it is the most connection they can get because so many of us are forced to travel to cities for treatment and access, separated from many of our usual networks of kinship and care. Abled people do not take kindly to being confronted with ableism or their role in it. I know this well as do all disabled Indigenous people. To truly succeed, Indigenous-led disability justice requires solidarity and to find that enabled people must listen. No, imposing your adjacent observations of actual lived experience of disability is not itself lived experience. And your repeated defensiveness when we call out your ableism is not dialogue. You cannot speak for us. It's us who must speak and you who must listen. Rest care cannot exist without the collective. Any form of rest for disabled people, especially disabled mob, is only possible via networks of kinship and mutual aid, networks that liberate all.
I want to share here a brief line by Audre Lorde from her book, The Cancer Journals, which explains this really well. Yet without community, there is certainly no liberation, no future, only the most vulnerable and temporary armistice between me and my oppression. Survival is to go beyond grief and pain, to find healing within and amongst, beyond, within, against the trauma and the loss. Do not say simply survival. Do say survival resistance. Thank you. 
Another core point, which in when you know a lot or know more about disability justice seems kind of self-evident, but is, is important to talk about all the same, is abolition. Disability justice is abolition. Abolition, when practised properly and with full recognition of the structures of oppression, is disability justice. Do not confuse this with disability rights, which seeks to negotiate piecemeal with the state alone. There, are, there is a reason disability rights is a favourite location of white disabled settlers. Disability justice is abolition. I want to pause here to share a great poem by a sib of mine, Marley Hermans, called A Haunting on the Ward. This was a poem Marley wrote as part of her wider piece for Overland Mag issue 239 called On Hospitals. And I want to share this poem because it speaks so well to why abolition is the core, is a core part of disability justice. A haunting on the ward. Antiseptic rips its nose, hangs heavy on the senses, bottles of it. Marker of passage, movement, boundary, cling to me like smoke. Sterile corridors are littered with us behind curtains and charts, held down by bleached linen, many hands have toiled at. The oppressed are a sick people, not in soul or in spirit, but in heart and lung, and mind and every other bit of body they've taken from us too. Here death is armed with pager and jargon, with a million different words that all end up meaning, you ain't human enough for us. Outside nurse become warden, become master, surveil and swarm beds, whisper secrets and write code. I think these wards are haunted, Mama, the way this place holds pain. There ain't much healing to be done when you can't get away from them ghosts. I love that poem. This is the space in which community and networks of relation, relationality and care are essential to build up the disabled imaginary, a concept my dear sis Marley has theorised on greatly among many other disabled peoples. <clears throat> this is the space of making and knowing, not constrained or trapped by the structural limits we disabled mob are often held within. I am talking of institutionalisation, poverty, homelessness, abuse, medicalisation, incarceration, among many other forms. We envision a future and a space we are already creating, one beyond the carceral state and its complexes, in which responses to crisis and harm are defined by regenerative processes, not greater harm and devastation, in which institutionalisation is no more, in which disabled bodies are unmedicalized, held as normal and great and wonderful, in which we are granted the power of definition, what is treatment and what is healing, an illness or disability that is not deviant or bad but simply is. The hospital and the medical industrial complex must be held as a form of the carceral structure. Too many ignore the powerful role this plays and the roles of doctors and nurses as agents of the state, as compliance officer, prison guard or presiding judge. Pay attention to this. 
See it through this lens and you will understand what I mean. Responses within medical spaces, medical institutions are always carceral. All of this is reliant upon the lived experiences of those who have been within and especially those who have been thrust through the prison system or, or who still reside there or who have not made it out. The medical is part of the carceral, but it is not the primary site and we cannot ignore those voices. Disabled mob deserve to have their voices heard on these subjects if they wish them to, to be supported within community and their illness or disability and or disability and all the struggles it produces heard and acknowledged. Deaths in custody are a disability justice issue. The deaths in custody of mob are almost always related to illness, to disability. The actions of medical practitioners play key roles in these deaths. In far too many, they are the deciding factor of living or dying. To challenge the carceral complex and to end these deaths is also to require the action of disability justice, which recognises the role medicalisation and racism and institutionalisation and carceral medical frameworks play in these deaths, these incarcerations, these injustices. One cannot be separated from the other. Abolition is and always has been a disability justice direction. One is not possible without the other, though disability, let alone disability justice, is often ignored in mainstream abolition movements. This has come from the prioritization of abled experience at the ignorance of all others. But do not be mistaken, abolition is the core principle and a key part of the future we work towards. It is not a fantasy or an impossible dream. In our work, together as community, we make it possible.
One of the final key points I want to talk about today that defines an Indigenous form of disability justice is country and time. Country as reminder, country as guidebook, country as medicine. Country cannot be ignored. Its role within disability justice is just as important as any other part if it is to succeed. Country is reflected within the forms of care and healing, of nurturing we take towards one another. It is, after all, the guide and informer, the reminder, the medicine. Locating disability justice within country and the responsibilities we owe to it and its peoples is vital. Place and the sovereignty and roles it brings is an essential recognition. A disability justice uprooted from place is justice only in name. Consider the audio groundings example I talked about before. They represent the importance of grounding in country and of the healing and care it can provide to community, to kin. It is a small example, yes, but it's important all the same. This is again a part of the disabled imaginary. Much of what we know and envision is held within this space and it is no less real, no less useful to community. Country informs this and our practice and the knowledge that time is strict, no, no that the knowledge that time is no strict linear thing. Tied to country within an Indigenous defined form of disability justice is the challenging of the colonial conception of time. This is moving beyond the rigidity of colonial time, an essential part for the disabled imaginary to take shape and flourish, to move into concrete ideas. Too frequently have I encountered and many other disabled people around me. The problem with, within organising spaces of settlers desperate to enact all the change now, here, right this minute. The sustainability of the movement and work is essential. And within this, the process and speed that is taken. Time is not a line, but here and now, and then, and maybe. It is a process of all at once and also slow, steady time. Learning and building up this movement, this work, is, is a process that must be done right. And so we move steadily and surely. Make no mistake, it is not work being held off or delayed. All the time, regardless, we work away and change slowly develops. But the demand for colonial understandings of what action looks like is the ruin of a movement so distinct and separate from this way, their way of time and movement. Action is being underdone in the yarns we undertake, in the aid and care we provide to our community members and our kin, and in the slow, steady unpickings of ableist thinking and the building up of communal strength and understanding, in the steady, continual processes of moving away from the state. There is no space here for organisational work and movements tied to the state. All our efforts are made in the hope to separate to create space on the margins that speaks back and goes beyond. The disabled imaginary in all its glory, underpinned by the power and wonder of Indigenous knowledge, knowledges and ways of being, we learn and grow from the work done by others, as my manifesto today is built with such voices and pushed towards the future visions and actions and material aid that our kin can expand and develop. Not all is going to be done today or tomorrow. 
but that is the nature of a disability justice grounded in country and deep time. It cannot be achieved as soon as we would wish, and whilst the future is uncertain and hope unclear, the work will never begin if we don't start it now. This is, after all, sick form, black yarn, crip space, deep place. So this is in part a very small snippet of what Indigenous disability justice is. I have referenced prior, and I will say it again, there cannot be no other form of disability justice. It cannot succeed without its rooting in the ways of being of the sovereign peoples of this country or elsewhere across the globe. It is the power of the collective, learning, sharing, guiding, healing, supporting, fighting, surviving, resisting. I have another quote from Audre Lorde to share, which captures the power and importance of this work. Though Audre Lorde mentions poetry, it is still much the same thing. Poetry is not a luxury. It is a vital necessity of our existence. It forms the quality of the light within which we predicate our hopes and dreams towards survival and change, first made into language, then into idea, then into more tangible action. Poetry is the way we help give name to the nameless so it can be thought. Poetry is not only a dream and a vision, it is the skeleton architecture of our lives. It lays the foundations for a future of change, a bridge across our fears of what has never been before. The writings and words and voices of Indigenous peoples, and particularly Indigenous, disabled Indigenous peoples, as guidance and learning and restorative medicine is the point, is key. In reflecting and reading and writing and speaking these words, we, we remain connected within, throughout. Despite the separation, despite the disconnection and the isolation, there is always a way to form this community and the slow interrelational net networks of care and kinship. It is hard going and slow moving work. At times, it seems like nothing is, be nothing is being done and things will not change the way we want them to. But it is always possible. And it is in this, the slow, steady, foundational work that a disability justice grounded in and led by Indigenous disabled ways of being and doing takes shape and flourishes. It is already being done so. The stumbling blocks continue because they are unavoidable in the colony, but the presence and the work and the community is there. To become part of this, you must understand the process into which you enter, one that is first and foremost led by Indigenous peoples, defined by the core processes and principles of Indigenous ways of being. I want to speak a moment before I finish and share some reflections from my disabled kin to the wonderful connections I've made with disabled mob that I've made over the past few years. Each and every one of them is doing amazing work for the communities and their voices, and I am in awe of all of them. We grow and learn and uplift alongside one another, and in doing so, we are finding the very power I've been talking about. To Mali, to Malaika, to Pauline, to Chris, I hold your work and your kinship close within my spirit. 
The work I have done today was never possible without the learning and love of these people and their wisdom and strength. We build on because we must.
Myata. My name is Tabitha, or as my ancestors know me, Buddha Minyan. My pronouns are she, her. I descend from the Gunditjmara people. My blood carries the stories, the songs, and the wisdoms of all of my grandmother's past, and my bones will eventually return to the earth which birthed my mother, and where our warriors lay their heads in eternal rest. Rest and survival, resistance and power, disability justice. Let me introduce myself. I am one of this country's disposable humans. I am black. I have a criminal conviction. I have a mental illness. My body wears the scars of surviving a colony designed to brutalize, erase and kill my kind. My armor has been mined and fracked and worn thin. The soles of my feet bear the blisters from the long dance in the devil's playground and they threaten to fester into eternal sores. So what can my tired, battered body and mind say about rest and survival in this colony? What can I say? By nature of my mother's blood and my mental disease and the criminal conviction that has forever altered my dialogical relationship with the state, racial capitalism has rendered me disposable. Because this economy treats our lands, seas and all of the waters, the trees, the skies, even the sea's breezes and the winds whipped up across fields, are animals that tread their paws across the soils and every human that bears a footprint as components of profit. Therefore, those who cannot be adequately commodified become anti-capitalist by the nature of having non-conforming bodies and minds. Then the system renders us disposable. We are disposed of into nursing homes, mental institutions, boarding houses, behavioural schools, detention centres, prisons, naughty corners, diversionary programs, halfway houses, two hard baskets, disposed of to the wastelands. So what becomes of the outcasts who are cast out? Let me tell you that the fringe of society is a warm place. You'd think it was a desolate wasteland full of discarded things and discarded people. You'd think it would be cold and swirling with dust bunnies and tumbleweeds. You'd think the skies would always be grey and overcast and the sun would never shine down on those who live here. You'd guess it would be lonely and sad and devoid of mirth and laughter. But it's not. I mean, it's not the warmest place on earth. But it's my home. And as I stand in this world within a world as an outcast cast out... I feel okay. And largely that's because this place is full of my people. My people, my people. The fringe of society is a place my people have dwelled since white man first stepped on our shore more than two centuries ago, and I am home here. So this is where I get my rest and care, my collective strength and power. It is in the love and care and bosom of my people. It is in the weathered hands of my old uncle. It is in the laughter of our kids playing in the dirty creek bed. It is over a cup of tea with aunties, a joke with cousins. It is in the awe and wonder of our newborn bubbers and the care and concern of our sisters. It is in the fire and rage of our mob. It is in the gammon of our joking brother. It is my grandfather's jokes. It's painting with my daughter. It's weaving with my auntie. It's camping with my partner. It's watching the flickering flames of fire at a bush camp, remembering the stories of my kukun. Rest and healing and power and strength is in the promise of another tomorrow every time I lay my head to rest. It is the feeling of the warm earth between my toes. It is my mother's country calling me home and knowing one day I'll return to the earth that birthed her. 
It is a smell of the eucalyptus leaves burning healing smoke across my skin, purging the colony from my pores. It is hearing my children speak language. It is living black. Despite its best attempts, the colony cannot erase us. We are here. We have survived. This country has a black history and it will have a black future because we persist, we exist and we damn well resist. Tracy R Community Radio. 855 AM.